ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Where the Big Boys Play. I'm Parv, and I'm here with Chad. How are you doing, Chad? Doing good today, Parv. How are you? Very good. And uh, thanks again to good old Will from Texas. <laughs> I thought we just do it every time. <laughs> um, so keep, keep the gimmick alive there. Any uh, any news um, before we get into this show? I don't believe so. Uh, it's been a I guess a shorter break for us than usual. So yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, we're reviewing uh, Clash of the Champions twenty, uh, which happened to coincide with the twentieth uh, anniversary of wrestling on TBS. Um, but before that. Let's go over to those observers. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. So, um, I actually have a couple of observers missing this uh, week, Chad. I've got oh. July, July the 27th, August the 3rd, August the 10th, and then a jump all the way to September the 1st. I'm wondering if Meltzer went to Japan or something. I don't know. But I don't have any late August ones. Yeah, that would have been odd. I mean, the... Uh... The finals of the G1 Climax in 91 was, uh, or 92. 92, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he may have been in Japan. That sounds right. Yeah, because it's just, just because it's a random thing and uh, we saw the Chono thing happen. So I'm wondering if uh, Meltzer was there for that rude Chono match. Because it's got a big reputation as a five-star match. And I'm wondering if that's because Meltzer was there live. So, well, I guess we'll see. Um, anyway, um, so for the July the 27th, 92, um, the results are in and basically the great American bash got a big thumbs down from the, um, observer readership. They got 32% thumbs up, 52.4% thumbs down with 15 thumbs in the middle. Does that surprise you a little bit, Chad? Cause we weren't that down on that show. Um, I, I, I don't think that's a surprise just because of the, uh, I guess, the temperament of online fans at that point in time. Um, I, again, for me, that's a real conflicting show because I can see, uh, I can see if I was living through the watch era in real time that I would be, uh, I guess, less enthusiastic than I am kind of revisiting some of these shows. In the best match and worst match polls, something made me laugh. The worst match by 114 votes, Freebirds versus Hasse and Agamotto. <laughs> I just, uh, I just find that funny. Um, anyway, um, it appears the Bash did a 0.4% national buy rate. Most systems we've received reports from indicate that the number of buys was nearly identical with Beach Blast from three weeks earlier. Since virtually no fans ordered that Beach Blast were aware, 
that there would be another pay-per-view just three weeks away, the fact that they were able to maintain the buys with such a short amount of time between the shows indicates one or more of three things. And here are the three things. Number one, the 0.4 figure is the total hardcore figure right now, with any pay-per-view basically doing about 20, about 70 to 80 national buys nationally. Uh, two, the Beach Blast was poorly promoted. Or three, that the Bash card was either slightly more attractive to average fans or the Bash name, uh, because of its past history, sold a few more orders. Or, uh, Beach Blast buy rate was hurt significantly by the fact that it came a day after the Holmes Holyfield fight, and Beach Blast would have dropped because of the short time between shows, except the number of buys for Beach Blast was artificially low. So, I don't really understand all of this because they did the same number. So, I don't really get where any of this is coming from. Um, anyway, anyway um, uh, going a bit later uh, in this particular um, observer, there's a lot of rumours around this time, Chad. Um, so, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get down to the WCW section. Um, one thing for certain, um, after watching uh, television this weekend is that there has never been more of a product difference between WCW and WWF. Now, I think this is quite interesting. Both have gone to the extreme opposite directions. WCW had to go in a different direction than Titan because it can't make it as a copy. But we'll have to wait and see if this course of action will make it. Now, what do you think of that? The idea that the two products have never been as different as they are in this midpoint in 1992? I mean, I think I would point to something like 1986 or 87 is more of a contrast, I guess. Yeah, um, see, the thing is, you've got Flair in WF this time, so and Savage was around, and to me, 92 WWF is slightly more wrestling orientated than other periods that I can think yeah, of. I, I think uh, I think the summer and fall into the winter of uh, WWF 1991. Is a pretty stark difference because that was when they went into the real uh, angle heavy type angles. You had the the uh, Piper Flare angle where Vince gets hit with the chair. You had all the Jake Roberts stuff first with the Ultimate Warrior, uh, even with Ultimate Warrior uh, up in the casket, and then kind of even the uh, Undertaker Hulk Hogan stuff. The booking of that, yeah. so that seemed like a pretty uh, different contrast and then i do think by this point in 1992 in the summer they had started relying more on uh sean michaels bret hart some of the uh now the pitcher more more wrestling yeah to me there's not like uh, yeah i I agree with you chad that the 86 87 kind of era seems bigger difference to me um however things appear to have stabilized business-wise although there are no signs of a turnaround. WCW is no different than WWF right now in exaggerating overseas sellouts. Bill Watts mentioned a few times on television that tickets to the three Sumo Hall shows are all sold out within hours uh, that they were put on sale. The truth is that of of 7.21, the final night is already sold out, but the first two nights were very close to being sold out as well. But tickets have been on sale for several weeks. And then he goes into some more figures that we don't need to uh, bother with here. Um, Terry Taylor is going to be brought back as a new ring character. Looking forward to that. Yeah, I don't know if that happened. 
Yeah, I did. I can't. Does it doesn't 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 he have another run as terrific Terry Taylor? Yeah, I mean he's in the '93 Royal Rumble and in one of the first uh, one of the first Monday Night Raws too. A couple of things happened on center stage tapings. Um, uh, These are the um, July 14th and July 18th shows. Vinny Vegas and Diamond Dennis Page work as a team called the Vegas Connection. And they're going to be programmed with Junkyard Dog and Mr. Hughes. JYD did an interview which turned Mr. Hughes, although it uh, wasn't explained very well. Van Hammer also returned and got a big pop, <laughs> although he was first on, which usually helps out a bit at tapings. <laughs> Dan Spivey is back, and he's doing the old Diamond Stud uh, Diamond Death Drop finisher. They, uh, they put the title belt over strongly um, in every interview. Everyone issued a challenge to Big Van Vader for the title, with Watts doing commentary, uh, who also mentioned that Terry Funk, Ric Flair, Lex Luger, and Sid Vicious had all called <laughs> about uh, title shots of Vader. I think that's really funny. Um, <laughs> so there we go. Well, I suspect that Watts uh, has talked with all of the above, but none for that reason, says Meltzer. Um, still, it is important to get the title belt over, which is something that has been lagging the past few years. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like some of these little touches that Watts is doing, I'm seeing more and more like there's, you can see what he's thinking and it's actually quite well thought out. Um, do you know what I mean, Chad? Yeah. I, I mean, I think as we'll see later on as we're guests, I mean, we're about at the halfway point of the watch regime with this show. Uh, you start to see a shift of. You had the the stern contrast when he first came in, which kind of created a culture shock. But I think slowly but surely you start to see kind of his vision and his uh, ideas coming into place. And they may have worked out, but, I mean, who knows? He he was uh, fired before they really had a chance to plateau. Um, Booking for the big shows for the remainder of night two. They've got the clash at the center stage in September, the show that we're going to review. Um, they've got the pay per view in October in Baltimore. Clash in Macon. That's, yeah. That's Baltimore? Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> clash in November, Macon, Georgia, tentatively. And then they've got Starcade at the Omni. Okay. No California dates for the entire rest of 1992. So you can really see what's cutting back on stuff like that yeah that's that's a easy cost cutting measure not yeah. having to fly all those guys out west n- n- no uh, wcw door set for england no european tour booked for the rest of the year so there we go um so yeah i mean they're going back to traditional crockett country i i think um with a couple of other big towns like Baltimore. I mean, Baltimore was always a Crockett town anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. I would say Philly kind of trying to expand up to there Yeah, uh, was probably their biggest. But yeah, it's, it's mostly a return to the basics approach for what. Yeah, like old Crockett country plus Georgia, basically. Right. You know, so, um, yeah. So let's move on to the next uh, one. This is the August the 3rd one. And um, what's going on here? Well, um, all sorts of stuff about uh, uh, Jimmy Snucker potentially killing the 23-year-old Nancy Argentino in 1983. 
Let's not talk about that. Um, instead, I'm entertained by the phone lines uh, with all the hot scoops. Let's go through some of these. <laughs> Rumors. The rumor mill in 1992, Chad. Hulk Hogan signing with New Japan. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was one that he really floated out there uh, with what was going on with Vince, that he said he had this huge offer with New Japan. Um, and then they actually talked about this in the latest uh, Between the Sheets, or the one of them from 93, because he does face Muda at uh, the May 1993 show. Um, and then he also has that weird match where he faces, uh, who does he face? He, he wrestles at the January 4th uh, Tokyo Dome show, and I think it might be versus Fujinami. I can't remember right offhand, but I know he wrestles at that show too. Um, so he was using that as, I think, leverage for uh, his negotiations. More big stories. Sting jumping to the WWF. Never heard that. Don't think that was probably going to happen. That wouldn't happen until 2015, my friends. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, the, away. <laughs> the Steiners jumping to the WWF. This would happen in 1993. Yes, yes. Uh, Bret Hart jumping to WCW. That wouldn't happen until 1997. That always seemed to be a relevant rumor. Well, I mean, I guess it's true that he had a good chance in 96. He just took the deal from Vince, and then we know what happened in 97. Ted DiBiase jumping to WCW. This would not happen until 1996, when he had retired. Right. Uh, Ric Flair jumping to WCW. This would not happen until 1993. Um, Also... I think, I mean, but I think... And we'll get with that show, uh, the show that we're reviewing today. I think you can see the wheels of that already starting to happen, though. Yeah. With uh, just the way he's being presented again within the company. I, I, I do think by the time this show was in September 2nd, the kind of the writing was on the wall that he was probably returning. Yeah, no, here was another deal they were looking at. Ric Flair coming back to WCW, and in exchange, Lex Luger being allowed to wrestle. Yeah, I know that was one kind of negotiation tactic they were looking to have, which I, I think that seems like a fair deal. And another rumor was that Gorgeous George, the original one, passed away. <laughs> um, now, of course, uh, Melter says that none of these stories are true. Um, so he was basically white, and he goes through each right why each one of them isn't true basically but i just thought it was fun to go through well, they go oh well that must be a joke about gorgeous george well it, it says here the gorgeous george story that ran around uh, everywhere last week appears to have been a hoax we've been contacted many times by many different names who were on top in the wrestling game as far back as the 30s and nobody recalled the wrestler george arena although we have, uh, have had it confirmed that he did wrestle in Canada as Baron Arena in the 50s. The bit about him being the original Gorgeous George was almost certainly a hoax, uh, okay. which stemmed from his own untrue claims made in a 1984 newspaper article. Talk about things that time forgot here. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Um, so there we go. Because the more, I guess, the more... Uh famous gorgeous george he died in 1963 so. yeah he, he says here yeah, the more famous george passed away 30 years ago right um so there we go and then yeah i mean he basically goes 
he says that Bret Hart and DBRC haven't even spoken with WCW, let alone agreed any deal. Um, I, I actually think um, uh, one interesting thing he mentions here is that while DBRC does have a history of working for Watts in the 80s, it's hard to believe that both of these wrestlers stayed put when WCW was offering more money, blah, blah, blah. But that's one of those big what-ifs, is that if Watts hadn't have um, left and Ted hadn't have got injured, I reckon right around that sort of time he goes to All Japan and stuff, maybe he might go to WCW if Watts has still been around. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of your more famous, I guess, fantasy book angles that people go towards is Ted heading up the horseman. Yeah. They were, <clears throat> flair. I mean, that seems like a natural... You, you always think about that in 87, but I think it's actually quite fun. Like, him in it, like, 93. I mean, you know... That's... Yeah. Okay, and I was talking to Charles and he did confirm. I knew that was true. Meltzer was in Japan for that time. And I remember that now he just jogged my memory because there is a, uh, Yamada versus, uh, Manami Toyota match on August the 15th, 1992. I think that Meltzer saw live and he kind of puts that up there in the upper echelon of matches he's ever seen live. A real kind of emotional hair versus hair match they had. Right. Okay. So I had a feeling that it wasn't that I was missing them. It's that they just yeah. there was no observers those right, two weeks. Right. Yeah. While he was in Japan. Um. Okay. And if there's anything else from this particular one, I've noticed that more and more he really does leave with the WCW stuff in these observers. Like you, you can just care. You can just tell that he's more of a WCW fan than a. Well, I think, I mean, I think at this point in time, Watts was the driving issue pushing the pulse, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, WWF, once Hogan left at WrestleMania 8, uh, that period, there doesn't seem to be a lot going on. I mean, yeah. honestly, till I guess the Warrior and Bulldog are fired. Well, I'll tell you what I find, having read many, many observers now, is that, he te- like, when it's WF stuff, it's like steroids or scandals or like he'll lead with that stuff if it's, but if it's just like an average week, he tends to lead with the NWA or the WCW news. And I just think it's where his heart is closer, you know? Um, I, I can, you can tell he's a, he's more of a fan of this promotion than of Titan. Um, even though he does give them credit when it's due about the production and things. Um, okay. I'm going to, uh, move on to the next one because there's quite a bit in this next one this is uh august the 10th um ron simmons has captured the wcw world heavyweight title in baltimore pinning big van vader um august the second so vader had a quite a short run then like a- yeah yeah less than a month which is kind of weird to think about um but yeah that's a really short run he not he pinned him in 946 on an episode of Worldwide with a power slam. Um, have you seen that match? I don't think I have seen that match myself. Yeah, it's it's a. Um, I mean, it's it's an iconic moment, of course, uh, with the crowd going nuts at the wind and a pretty shocking result, I'd say. So it's mostly more of a moment than a match. Yeah. Um, what else? Bill Watts and uh, Grizzly Smith. 
came out with top seven contenders for uh, Simmons' new t- title. Um, oh no, hold on. Vader had been advertised to defend the title against Sting. However, early in the taping, an angle was set up where Roberts came out to the audience and gave Sting two DDTs on, the, on a chair. Sting did a stretcher job and was unable to wrestling in the main event. Therefore, Watson Grizzly Smith had the top seven contenders list, um, which was Dan Spivey, Van Hammer, Ron Simmons, The Barbarian, Cactus Jack, Dustin Rhodes, and um, Rick Rude and Steve Austin. So those were the seven. Um Announced their names in a bowl, and Smith was to be picked out as the top ten, as the top contender. Rude came down, demanded his name to be put in there as well. Um, and then, I mean, cut a long story short, Simmons ends up getting the shot, and he ends up uh, winning the title. So Now, so, so what do you think about Simmons as world champ? I mean, that seems... <sighs> it's like, I guess that seems odd now, because we know his career. I, I I mean just just looking at it in context, Chad. Um, it seemed like he was more primed for that around the time he was feeding the Luga, like a year back. Yeah. Um. Here, he's kind of, like he's been in the mix, and as we'll get on to, he just never feels like the top guy around. No. Or even like even like the second top guy around. Like it, like even like obviously Sting is the main man, okay? Like there's no, they don't even make any bones about that. But even after Sting, who feels like the next biggest deal in the company? Rude. Yeah. Vader. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I always thought of Simmons as like around this time. It's like if he would have beaten Rude for the U.S. Championship, I could have maybe seen that. But it, and and it's. And it's kind of odd. I mean, I guess they were pushing so big just to have the first black champion. Um, So that's why they decided to go with him with the title, uh, which is... What, were they scared Vince was going to make Virgil the champion? I don't don't know. It's it's sort of ironic in retrospect, given, you know, Watts' comments and his demise coming up. But I I just... It doesn't feel right. Maybe that... I mean, in some ways, I think you might could blame some of the booking, but I mean, I think he was booked about as well as you could have possibly hoped for in that Luger feud, and he didn't feel like someone that should have beaten Luger at Halloween Havoc. So, I, I, I mean, I don't think it's any disgrace to say somebody of Simmons' stature at the peak of his career was a you know U.S. championship worker. But I, I think that. Um... You know that his Florida association is just a bit too strong. I think the Florida State, or just yeah, yeah, that, like he, it just seems like a, he, like his position is being too local in a way, which is weird because they're they're trying to be this national company, but I don't know. He he just seems more like a regional or a local deal than a national star to me in the way that he's been presented consistently to us. So. Yes, but. I mean, college football has only grown since then, but in college football, if you're a star, you are known nationally. So he he would have been someone that should have been recognized as, you know, if you were a college football fan from when his career there, uh, I don't, he, he, he was, he was that good of a player. 
So we'll uh, we'll talk more about Simmons, I'm sure, as the shows goes on. Um, the um, the ten twenty five uh, pay per view show has been moved. Chad, you were right from Baltimore to Philadelphia right. for reasons mainly having to do with satellite transmission problems. Um, the card for the uh, center stage for the Clash uh, has been announced um, on the eight fifteen television shows. The um, eight one show in Philadelphia drew two thousand. Um, so that's the sorts of gates they were doing in Philly. Two thousand in Philly, not the best crowd not, in the world. Not good. Um, New announcing lineups yet again, Chad. Like the 18th millionth new line right. uh, lineups. Um, here we go. Um, so Ross is going to do Saturday nights with a co-host, probably Bill Watts, frequently as the co-host on Saturday night. Okay. Main event is going to be Jim Ross with Michael Hayes. Power Hour. It's going to go to a magazine format with Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. Uh, worldwide is going to be Schiavone and Jesse Ventura. And Pro is going to be Eric Bischoff and Magnum TA. Um, with the syndicated main event going to be Eric Bischoff and Teddy Long. So, so there we go. Yeah, another reshuffle. No, you're not. You're not very excited about that. Either. Well, they they just they have too many announcers. I mean, it's the common thing. We see it some with this show too. You just you have too many people pushed in, and it sounds like a murderer's row of announce teams. But it ends up getting uh, there's there's talent that gets lost in the shuffle because of all this. Somebody like Lance Russell is just basically a non-factor. Or, or Gordon Soley's like... Gordon Soley, even him, and or really Tony Schiavone, I think, is probably the biggest casualty, because this is in a lot of ways the peak of his career and he's uh, doing, what did it say he would be doing worldwide? He's doing worldwide with Jesse. I, yeah, I, I, I remember I used to watch that show. So Yeah, he was doing worldwide with Jesse around this time, and uh, and no, no pay per views as we've seen. They've all been Ross and Jesse for the for the super shows. Yeah. So it's 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 just a weird dynamic. You still got Missy hanging around. Now they're bringing in Teddy Long, Eric Bischoff, a backstage interviewer as well. It's it's yeah. too convoluted. Eric Bischoff's a terrible announcer as well, uh, <laughs> as as we'll discover in about five years. I, 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 Eric is bad, but I don't think anything is as bad as 1999 Eric Bischoff announcing. Uh, <sighs> going through the 99 stuff, and oh my God, when he comes back as a laughing, happy-go-lucky baby face with the gray hair, it is just... It, it, it may be some of my least favorite announcing well, of all time. I mean, I don't want to preempt... If anything's going to make me tap out on doing this show, Chad, sold out is, uh, you know... That sold-out pay-per-view they do is fucking brutal. I can't remember. Uh, is it like Bischoff and DBRC on that show? Oh, it's awful. Oh, yeah. So the first sold-out. Oh, yeah. God. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's to come. Um, <laughs> um, Elliot Murnock has been rehired as a promoter in North Carolina, Virginia, and West Virginia. Murnock promoted tons of cities for the Crockett's, but was dumped by Jim Hurd. So there we go. Brad Armstrong was to find out on August the 3rd about whether or not he'd need major surgery after blowing out his knee in Japan. 
So that was true. They didn't kayfabe that. He did get injured in Japan. So there we go. And the talk is that Sting Vader was right around four stars every night this past week. Um, the matches they had on the road. Uh, ever seen any um, handhelds or anything? Yeah, uh, there's well, mo- mostly from 93. There's the uh, the Phantom title switch that, well, I don't even know if it's a Phantom. I don't know if they count it or not. But you know where Sting drops it, or Vader drops the belt to Sting in London or Paris or one of those towns and then regains it back later in the tour? Okay. So, so I've seen that match. It's not at the level of their pay-per-view stuff, or even I'd say their 1994 uh, stuff. But I mean, it's very good. Probably three, three and a quarter, something around that range for me. I have to be honest. I've always struggled to watch handhelds. Um, something about them just doesn't like. Unless they're really, really good quality, it's just like, you know, the guy can never hold it still, and it's hard to make out what's going on. And, yeah, I like the um, I like the Flare Heart Iron Man. Yeah, I, I um, think that one is a handheld. It's a you, you know the uh, match that Flare and Steamboat have the the one in '89, the Landover. Yeah, is that handheld or is that professionally yeah, done? That's handheld. They that, have one handheld. Yeah, that that's 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 one I can tolerate because it doesn't feel like one. I like. I can't remember if it's handheld or not. So there's a few good ones. You didn't watch it for all Japan Excite series, but there's a good handheld uh, Hanson versus Kabachi from the '93 Champions Carnival. That's that's right. another real good handheld. Well, that could be our question for the week, Chad. Recommend good handhelds. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, it's generally not. I, I the the handhelds I really despise are when the uh, guys are doing commentary. Oh yeah! Like over the match, there was some in nineteen ninety one. They did a war games in the Meadowlands, and the the guys are just shitting on the match the whole time. It's it's pretty obnoxious. Sounds terrible, like a like a mystery Titans theater yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it may have been a forty uh, year old Johnny Sorrow at that time doing. Commentary. Well, where where are you ever doing the Rocky Raymond tribute act? You know. Rocky Raymond. Uh, so anyway, um, yes, I tell you, there was that one handheld that um, I remember. Will was really high on that. I did not care for the Wahoo McDaniel uh, Magnum match from A was it? Uh, it was uh, Manny Fernandez. Oh yeah, Manny Fernandez. Yeah, Sorry, Ma- Manny Fernandez versus Wahoo. Yeah, I did not care for it in that gym. Yeah, that was in my bottom ten. So. Um, okay. Uh, in non-WCW-related news, Pat Patterson is coming back to the WWF, uh, Fle- uh, Vince's long-time right-hand man when it comes to booking um, and all sorts of things. He resigned amidst sex scandals six months ago, if you remember, Chad. Right, right. And, and now he's coming back. Um, so, you know, that's probably good news for Vince. Um and I reckon fans would rejoice if he came back now, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they, Chad? Well, I still, I don't know what his. I think he's still technically on the payroll. Yeah, but he's not. He's not. Well, yeah, I mean, he's not day to day. Yeah, as is obvious from anybody who's looked at their booking in the past ten years. Anyway, let's go on. Um, because I, I don't want to talk about modern stuff, Chad. You know that. <laughs> 
But um, you'd you'd think some of those finishes would be better if he was around, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, even um, I was listening to the Between the Sheets of Rob Naylor. I was finishing it up uh, this week, and Naylor in that uh, in that pod talks about how he has a book of finishers. Oh yeah. So, I, I mean, there's there's resources out there. That's somebody that was in NXT. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, something a little bit fun here, Chad, because one thing I didn't mention that was in the last Observer was a poll that the Observer uh, readers did on the 20 years of wrestling on TBS poll. So they did. They had all sorts of different polls. So question one. What individuals from the history of pro wrestling on TBS that are no longer working with the WCW would you like to see brought back for the 20th anniversary clash that could realistically be uh, brought back given political realities, was the question asked. Who do you think was number one? Tommy Rich. Mr. Wrestling 2. That was going to be my other guess, damn it. I I thought it'd be one of those two, but yeah, that makes sense. Believe it or not, Tommy Rich is number five. Mm, Um, Who was number two? Jim Cornette. Okay. Number three was Terry Funk. Number four was Tully Blanchard. Number six was Mars Superstar, Bill Eady. Uh, number seven was Bob Armstrong. Number- Bob Armstrong was going to be, uh, I, he was, when you was posing the question, he was one I thought about a little bit too. Number eight was Freddie Miller. Number nine was Austin Idol. And joint tenth was Stan Lane and Tony Atlas. Yeah, I just don't, I don't, really see funk as a georgia guy um well i mean i guess i guess or even an nwa i don't i don't know i mean i don't really know former former nwa champion yeah but that was well i guess that was he was on tbs i mean yeah i guess that's when but that was georgia that wasn't when he was in i mean how much did he defend it in georgia he must have come around, I guess. Well, I'm sure he made his loop, but I, I guess I'm just saying, like, but, if you're thinking it, about... But don't Funk forget, Flair, Fun- Flair Funk played out on TBS as well. Right, but that was not... So, I, I don't know. I, 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 when you think about, like, wrestling on TBS, I don't think of Terry Funk. No, I, I mean, I don't either, but, you know. That's, that's, mean, that's, it, well, yeah, I mean, it's an Observer poll. You're going to have a lot of fans of Funk, but that just... That just I don't um, know. What are your most memorable moments from watching pro wrestling on TBS? Mm. Okay, I'll just read out some of these. Number okay. number one, number one, 1981, Roddy Piper turns right. ba- baby face right. saving Gordon Soley from Don Morocco. That's a big one. Number two, and listen to this, uh, certain people. Um, so th- this was joint, okay? 1988, poorly dangerously in the original Midnight Express. Debut attacking Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. And joint with that, in 1980, Terry Gordy pile drives Teddy DiBiase several times during the Freebirds versus DiBiase and Steve-O tag team, uh, television tag team match. So that is an angle for the ages, uh, in case anybody hasn't heard of it. Uh, number four, um, Ole and Gene Anderson turn on Dusty Rhodes in the cage against the Assassins. Yep. That's from 1980. That's a famous angle, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, we saw a clip of that. Or no, we actually saw the later one, right? Or yeah. was it this one? I think it was this one, wasn't it? I think it was this one, yeah. I think it was this one, not the one in 85 that set up Star K. Yeah, it was. Um, 1989, um, Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, 55-minute match from New Orleans. Um, 
82. Um, Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy reunite the Freebirds after breaking up the previous year. Um, this is number seven. Ricky Steamboat returns to WCW as Eddie Gilbert's mystery partner against Flair and Wyndham. And then number eight is that Flair Sting match, uh, the first clash, Chad, that we're such big fans of. Yeah. Uh, number nine, also from 88, Road Warriors put a spike in the eye of Dusty Rhodes. And then number 10. This is a lot of 1988 and 89 stuff. Yeah, well, it's a recency bias in it, I guess. Yeah. You know? And then yeah. Barry Windham turns heel on next Luger and joins the Four Horsemen. So there we go. Okay. I mean, I mean, you know, Flair Steamboat is both of our top three yeah. matches of all time. But, I mean, the ratings kind of showed that people weren't exactly turning out in droves for that one. There does seem a dearth of, like, prime flair versus dusty stuff i guess that uh yeah i mean i'd say anything from 85 with the uh with the horseman first starting anything from tommy rich and buzz sawyer going out of each other um it, it just feels like a lot of late air stuff i mean even stuff like that number two the original midnight's coming out and beating up the midnight express like that's that's a really cool angle to go back and watch but i don't think that's an angle that's really kind of i guess stayed through the test of time i mean i mean people know that the free birds pile driving dibiase you know gordy pile driving dibiase and basically creating the free bird most casual to moderate wrestling fans still know that happened like on in georgia yeah but i don't think even you know a good many fans in the chats or some of the younger fans on pwo would know about the midnight express original midnight express brawl well um i've got a conspiracy theory track since they're so popular at the moment and my conspiracy theory is is that jim Cornette wrote in 50 times himself <laughs> with using, well, I, using I different do think there is some of that that i mean <laughs> you know like with funk in the previous poll the cornet yeah. and dangerously are both observer guys around this time so yeah. yeah yeah it's possible okay question three what are the most memorable matches you've ever seen on tbs um i'll give you a shot at the top three chad guess i guess flare steamboat yep Number one. Flare Sting. Number Flash. two. Number two, correct. All right, number three. On TBS. On TBS. Flare Font, Clash 9. Correct. Three out of three, Chad. Very good. Number four was uh, that Dusty, Dusty and Ole versus the Assassins match. Um, number five was the Midnight Express versus the Fantastics from Clash 1. Mm, okay. Uh, number six, Freebirds versus Ted DiBiase and Steve-O. That was the, the match where <laughs> yeah. DiBiase got all the pile drivers. Steve-O so. making an appearance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my boy Ted. Um, number seven um, is uh, Ricky Steamboat and Eddie Gilbert taking on Ric Flair and Barry Windham from 89. I don't recall that match. That's the that's the word. Oh, Steamboat Steam comes back, yeah. yeah. 88, uh, Tully and Arn versus Barry and Lex Luger from... Uh, this was where uh, Wyndham turned on Luger. Wyndham and John, yeah. right. And then number nine, Tommy Rich versus Bugs, Buzz Sawyer from the early 80s. Yeah. 
Um, it just says early 80s. Yeah, Terry Gordy versus uh, <laughs> Terry Gordy and Michael Hayes versus the Super <laughs> Destroyer and Buzz Sawyer. Um, this was the match where Gordy and Hayes reunited as a tag team from 1982. <laughs> 89, Steiner versus Dan Spivey and Sid Vicious. Okay, come on, guys. <laughs> and, it's uh, like not even the... Couldn't even put the Rock and Rolls versus the Russians when the Rock and Rolls won the belt. This one uh, here, Chad, 1989, Midnight Express versus Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas. Yeah. <sighs> like, I don't know why they were drawing such a total blank on 1985 stuff, or like 86 or 87. <sighs> or... This kind of shows to me that there's a lot of people that hadn't seen this that were reading the Observer at the time. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, listen to those last two. I mean, those last two are legitimate, like three star matches, like not even very good matches, I would consider. I mean, what about what about some of those ones that had, you know, the uh, Flair Garvin, Flair Garvin, Flair Wyndham, Battle of the Belts, all this stuff? Like, uh, all, it was all TBS, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you got you got the Nikita Magnum series. Uh, Wow, yeah, I mean, tons of tons of stuff. Totally Garbin. I mean, there's yeah. just a bevy of stuff you could have picked. I, I think there's anti-Dusty hatred going on. Not just anti-Dusty the worker, but anti-Dusty the booker. Backlash still happening here. I don't. It, it it seems to me like this may just be people that came in during the rock and wrestling era and just don't know. Yeah, yeah just you, you, I mean, you know, tape trading was in such its infancy right now. So. And then you've got those older fans who were just going for the early Georgia stuff. So Right, right. Yeah. Um, interesting, nothing from the 70s at all no. that anybody can remember. So, <clears throat> Pick the greatest match ever held on TBS. I thought we did this already. Yeah, well, that what, was a what was, the, what, was the what was the difference? Most memorable moments, most memorable matches... Pick the greatest match ever held. Okay, I'm going to skip that because it's the same list again for as far as sure. I can see. Uh, pick the greatest single wrestler in the history of pro wrestling on TBS. Ric Flair. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, listen to this. Ric Flair received 105 votes. No other wrestler received more than two votes. Oh so, my God. <laughs> so uh, I'd, I'd love the greatest wrestler ever poll to go like that, Chad. That would be amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, those Observer guys, they really know their stuff. <laughs> so, question... <laughs> yeah, right. Question six. Pick the greatest tag team in the history of pro wrestling on the Superstation. Now, that's interesting. I, I mean, I guess I would probably guess the Road Warriors. Number two, Chad. Midnight Express. Correct. Eaton yeah. the Lane version. That's who I was debating against. Num- um, number three was Gene and Ole Anderson. Number four was Arn and Tully tied with the Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry version. Um, Gordy and Buddy Roberts and Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner tied on six. Rock and Roll Express on eight. Assassins on nine. So there we go. Uh, question seven. Pick five individuals other than Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Gordon Soley, Mr. Wrestling 2 and Ole Anderson <laughs> who you feel have contributed the most to the success of pro wrestling on TBS think now you can include backstage figures as well here chad mm, that was tough um i guess give me some assassin number one i would say number one jim Cornette. jim Cornette, not 
That means... <laughs> Correct. I mean, just he has got a lot of fans in the Observer for yeah. readership. Number two, uh, Jim Jim Crockett Jr. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess Jim Barnett really should probably be. Yeah, he's not there. Uh, number three is J.J. Dillon. Number four, Michael Hayes. Yeah. Number five, Roddy Piper. Those early Georgia days. Uh, number six, Tully Blanchard. So no Tommy Rich. He is really no, getting shafted num- here. Number seven was Terry Funk. Number eight is Tommy Rich. Number nine is the Rock and Roll Express. Number 10 is Sting. So just goes to show you. Um, quite interesting, that little exercise, isn't it? Yeah, I think that that is really alarming that even though at this point in time, of course, like the Observer readers were seen as more inside than the majority of wrestling viewers there's still i mean i think i think your average smart mark or whatever insider term you want to talk about today that frequents pwo just with the availability of free stuff or relatively cheap stuff through the wwe network has i would say seen and viewed a more diverse uh collection of wrestling past and uh, and present than those guys at this yeah. time for sure. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of an alarming list in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, what else here? Um, WCW houses are up, by the way. The the live shows are actually up, but the TV ratings remain low. So that's quite interesting that they're having a little, you know. But when they say the fan it's up, it's like. 3,480 fans in Louisiana, for example. Right. Not Still not gangbusters, but I guess no. better than before. Yeah. So I think we're almost there. What was the date on this uh, class? September the 1st or 2nd? I think it's the 2nd. Yeah, so I think we're... I think the we're network actually... has the 1st, but it's, I'm almost positive it's the 2nd. Yeah, uh, September 2nd. I don't know why the network does that, where the dates are one day off on a lot of them. <laughs> okay, so I, I think we're pretty much uh, up to date here. So why don't we take a quick break, Chad? And when we come back, we're going to review Clash of the Tech Champions 20. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. Place to be nation.com, the Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place to be nation's Justin Rosero here. In addition to the Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes at place to be nation.com. You can check out Scott Criscolo and me on the mothership, the place to be podcast, with our famous vintage vault pay per view reviews. PTBN also covers current day wrestling with main event, Mission Indie Possible, and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on WWE, NXT, and Ring of Honor Super Shows. And relive wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series, led by Ben Morse, and the Dangerous Alliance Wrestling Podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. We got sports covered too with the Sports Evolution Mega Show with Scott... 
Dr. G, Cowboy and Cowboy Senior, the Kings of Sport, led by live audio wrestling's godfather Nate Milton, as well as the NBA team podcast and the TJ McLoon Show. PTBN tackles pop culture and irreverence with Richard and the Mailman, the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular. And if you like a hybrid of all of this in list form, check out Jordan Duncan's Rank and File. All of these shows are available on PlaySpeedNation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments and more. We want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, and Scott Keats' Blog of Doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlaySpeedNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is Parv, and I'm here to tell you to listen and subscribe to the pro wrestling only Place to Be Nation podcast network. That's the PWO PTBN podcast network, where you'll find a ton of in depth shows done by hardcore fans. We've got Chris Zellner's One Two Punch of Exile on Bad Street, and with David Bickenspan, Smash Hit Between the Sheets. We've got Wrestling Culture with Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave. Goodwill Wrestling and the reaction shows with Good Old Will from Texas. We got This Week in Wrestling with my man Pete and Johnny Sorrow. Stephen Graham and Tim Livingstone's Pro Wrestling Super Show. Tag Teams Back Again with Kelly and Marty Sleeve. And a ton of other great shows too. And of course, there's Titans of Wrestling and Where the Big Boys Play with yours truly and some dude from Downside Port Shad. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. Well, you can listen to some of those shows here. And we're back for Clash of the Champions 20. It's the anniversary special, Chad. Are you excited? Yeah, this is um, this is a weird show. And this is actually one of the first WCW shows I can remember watching as a kid. <laughs> I, had the, I had this taped on a VHS tape and uh, watched it a lot. And it's, uh, you know, as we've talked about many times before, up to 1994, I was pretty exclusive as a WWF fan. But but this is one of the ones for some reason I taped and hang, hung on to and watched a good bit when I was I was six at the time of this show. Yeah, no, I I want to say I haven't seen this show before. It's one of those yeah. ones that slipped through the net, you I, know. I don't, I don't think it's one that gets talked about a lot, but um, it's, yeah. it's an interesting watch. Very interesting watch. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to find Meltzer's old uh, ratings for them. Seems very late on them. Oh yeah, well he may have he coming back from Japan. He may have uh, put put this on the back burner. Yeah, I've I've got a funny feeling he may have not given ratings for this show, but we, <laughs> I can't find them. I'm literally on to the 21st of September now, and I can't see them. Um, anyway, not that important, I guess. Um, uh, I've got them. I got them. You've got them. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can give us the melter ratings uh, for today then. Okay. So anyway. It's, they're doing this deal where it's the 20 years of wrestling on TBS, and we get this scrapbook that opens as we start. And they show us a couple of clips of like guys like the Spoiler and people like that, this in the opening, uh, which is quite cool, I thought. Um, although I would say the computer graphics look very dated on the scrapbook. Yeah, that that scrapbook looks like my parents' is a yearbook annual. <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty. <laughs> but now we go to Tony Schiavone and Missy Hyatt, right. and they are with Gordon Soley and Andre the Giant, who is obviously not in good health. No, he's got a crutch. But what is he wearing? The- <laughs> Is he wearing his Princess Bride outfit? Uh, it's essentially that. He, uh, 
It's it's an outfit you have to see to believe. It's uh, he, he looks kind of like a circus ringmaster. He's got like a pocket watch and stuff. yeah, it, it like it's it's these gold tassels that connect in front of his jacket. No, um, was it just me? Or was Andre blind drunk during this? Because he seemed like he was in high spirits despite the <laughs> fact that he was uh, despite the fact that he you know wasn't very well. He seemed like he was like very jolly to me and, and even though i hadn't seen this seen this show a good bit i had no memory of andre being here um so so that was a nice surprise i, I thought that was good that they brought him in oh by the way you know this this takes place at center stage yeah and some of these exterior shots really kind of convey just what a shithole center stage is i mean it is not a uh, a nice venue one one small detail that i think vince would have done everything in his power to stop is that um you can see like a little kind of like like work traffic cone in the in the in the yeah. street behind yeah. i mean that looks too bit that you, looks really you've got the uh you've got the police on horses that you can clearly tell have shut down traffic so they can do this opening bit yeah um it's it's quite quite the scene but yeah who was more drunk gordon or andre that's a pretty good uh debate that you could rage on anyway now uh various dignitaries um get out of limos in yep. one of the more bizarre moments in wrestling history yep. uh and a moment that i called on facebook chad probably the greatest thing in, in the history of the world um <laughs> as roman simmons and his wife come out yeah, Ron um, Simmons and Lonnie come out. Um, now, I th- I thought his wife looked a good bit older than him, actually, like by a good like ten years. Uh, was I seeing things here? Or yeah, I mean, well, Ron wasn't no spring chicken himself at this time, right? Wasn't he in his thirties? I don't know. She looked like a middle aged. Is she like a cougar, Mrs. Simmons? I mean, no, he was he was born in nineteen fifty eight, so he'd have been thirty four. Yeah, she looked like she was like mid forties. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> tough, tough on uh, poor Lonnie here. She's a cougar, I'm telling you, John. I don't know, but I would think that would be uh, more Mrs. Watts that we see coming out next. <laughs> anyway, high speed. We get a uh, Dory Funk Jr. shout out now. He was the uh, NWA champion in 1972 when TBS started, as Tony Schiavone tells us at least twice during this. Um, uh, Bill Watts and his wife come out now. Um, right. um, what, what was your what was your make what did you make of Mrs. Watts here? Seemed uh, a lovely person. Watts had a Manila folder. I don't know what was in that, but that was kind of weird. <laughs> Penske files. Yeah, <laughs> good Constanza reference. Uh, uh, but, but this limo, like knowing what happens to Bill Watts, <laughs> this has got to be one of the more. I guess just ironic, and and all this was so vivid on my mind because of the between the sheets that dealt with Watts's firing, where uh, Bix and Zellner talk about two hours about it. But just just seeing this limo right here on pack was one of the more surreal moments I would say in wrestling history. I mean, it, it'd be almost like Sean and Brett riding the limo together to Survivor Series '97, and like getting out with Vince. I mean, it's that type of. You know, these these guys that everybody out of that limo has pretty much pretty severe animosity for each other in just a couple well, months' time. The, the next man out of the limo is Hank Aaron. Right. Who, who apparently hit more home runs than Babe Ruth. 
Yes, and Missy Hyatt, who I thought was annoying throughout this whole ordeal, <laughs> she essentially has an orgasm at Hammer and Hank. I mean, when he comes out, she loses her mind. Oh, I, I actually thought that she was perfect during this whole segment. Oh, God, you why? can def- I hated her during this. No, I'll tell you why. Because she made people who should have felt like a big deal feel like a bigger deal. I thought it was just... Her, I took it as her trying too hard. I, yeah. I mean, she was. I mean, she was being flirtatious with every guy. I know that's her gimmick, but I don't know. It just felt like to me that they were trying to do kind of a serious, you know, introduction of the tradition and all this, and her tone was just kind of off-putting from that. Now, um, WCW president Bill Shaw comes out. So that's what Bill Shaw looks like. And right, he's, in a bow tie. He's in a very silly bow tie and a cummerbund, a matching cummerbund. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. Ready um, for prom, Bill Shaw. <laughs> now Jim Bonnet comes out. Yes, the buzz. Jim who, <laughs> who is every bit as gay as all of the impressions we've heard. Now, is this the only bit of like Jim Bonnet talking that we've got? <laughs> I think this is the only bit we'll have as far as all the, well, the big boys play. But, I mean, Jim Barnett's cummerbund <laughs> is about directly under his nipples. I mean, he has that thing hiked up. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real rogues gallery. I just could <laughs> If we didn't, like, if what Shaw Barnett wasn't enough, now Bob Do is out. It's Bob like, <laughs> like what is, the, what is the average fan at home thinking here? Like, for us, this is amazing. <laughs> but for, like, you know, like, you know, little seven-year-old chairs, like, who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> Bob right. Do. Um, so there we go. You have a, too, you've got to mention, you got Doug Dillinger in a tux outside, too, <laughs> wandering around directing traffic during all this. It is uh, mental. And who better to celebrate the yeah. history, history of wrestling on TBS than Bruno Sammartino, right. Mr. TBS himself. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, and anyway, Missy really sucks up to him. So. Oh, yeah. Bur- Bruno. But Mr. Sammartino. And then, was it here, or was it in his interview? I think it was in both spots where Bruno talked about it was good to see some real wrestling. Like he yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, in a bit. <laughs> I had to put in a uh, little jab at WWF on his way into the building. Yeah, well, of course, he was deeply embroiled in trying oh, yeah. to bury the steroid stuff at the minute, wasn't he? So This is, this is right at the peak of vindictive Bruno yeah. for events. He still looked classy, though. I'll say that. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) And then Sting arrives on a Harley Davidson. And and Missy blows her gasket at this, too. Well, I I thought Missy reacted before we ever saw her. It was like she had a cue (laughs) to say, is that Harley Davidson? And it was like, broom, broom. It was the most ridiculous thing. Um, And this is where I've just written my notes. He is still the top star even though simmons is champ right so. right yeah i mean they presented him here but um and and it is i think it's definitely interesting the look they were trying to go for with him because everybody else is in a suit and a tux and he comes in in the harley and just a leather jacket on and jeans and you know missy is as googly eyed as she was over everybody else she's even more googly eyed over sneeing so he, he certainly is the ace at this point. 
Yeah. But, but it only gets better. <laughs> I, I will say that it, I have come to realize that Sting's character was basically one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's basically who he was, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, there's so. a lot of uh, Leonardo and <laughs> what we see with Steve. Anyway, yeah. Um, Who was the dumbest Ninja Turtle? I could be Steve. Michelangelo, he was the party dude, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah party animal. Probably yeah. Michelangelo. Radical. It was like, okay. <laughs> um, anyway, um, who do we have now but Teddy Long? He seems to be transitioned into being an interviewer now. Yes. And he's with Dusty Rhodes, Bill Bill Watts, and everybody's favorite guy, Atlanta City Councilman Rob Pitts. <laughs> because today is going to be World Championship Wrestling Day in Atlanta, in the city of Atlanta. Do they still celebrate that in Atlanta? Church? Well, I don't know if they do this in uh, Great Britain part, but they do this commonly where... You know, every city can declare a day something of another. I, I mean, I I was on a, a charter school board at uh, my old hometown in Noonan for a while, and we we did this expo, the science expo, and the the uh, mayor of Noonan declared that Odyssey Day for you know. I mean, it's one of those kind of proclamations. Oh, that yeah, I see. It's only for one day. It's not like every September second. Oh, I see. Day. No, I, I don't think I can't really think of anything like that here. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just a formality, kind of. I, I think they just know British people would just be like, what the fuck? fuck off. Well, I mean, that's essentially <laughs> how most of uh, everyone else is, but this is kind of common. Anyway, you have Magnum TA and the Assassin are in the background, as is Thunderbolt Patterson. And right. then they, they do this really weird thing where they introduce them all, and Thunderbolt Patterson thinks he's about to cut a promo, and then they just cut to... <laughs> And, and then he and then he just looks at them as if to say, "What the fuck?" I was about to give her. <laughs> Did you see Van Hammer too in the background there? No, I didn't spot him. What, what oh you? yeah, yeah, he was there with his black hat, his black fedora on. Um, it, there's there's one scene right at right when Thunderbolt's coming into frame that you can see Van Hammer. But this, yeah, I mean, this is a. Uh, I mean, Dusty's promo was probably only about 25 seconds here. And plus, he looks like Colonel Sanders with his suit. Uh, but but he comes up, and he has the big belt buckle and the lisp and uh, says they're going to get funky like a monkey tonight. I mean, this is Dusty's 22nd greatest hits. And uh, that moment is great where it's both the assassin and Thunderbolt Patterson where Thunderbolt goes to shake Teddy Long's hand and then gets ready to speak and Teddy just yanks the microphone back. <laughs> it goes straight to uh, Jesse and uh, Jesse and Ross in the center stage. It's bizarre. I have to say Thunderbolt Patterson looks a lot better with his clothes on. <laughs> Reminded me a bit of like Lawrence Fishburne or something. He actually looked all right. Yeah, yeah he did kind of look like Lawrence Fishburne, yeah. Um, anyway, if, um, yeah, now, th- even though I loved watching all of that, it did make me think rather than all the execs, wouldn't it have been better to stack that limo with old legends? Like, I don't know, here's Tommy Rich, here's 
like here's the funks. Like why yeah, not? I, I guess do and um probably do and Barnett were the two that you could have got rid. I mean Shaw saying he's the president. I guess that's fine. But, but I I I reckon I would have kept Barnett because he's such a big Georgia guy. And well then that's really only do I would say then. Yeah. As a. I just think Bruno is a strange booking, but I, we'll get on to why Bruno may have been here in a bit, because right. uh, I think he's mainly there to try to prop up that Philly gate, isn't he? Let's be honest. Probably. More uh, likely. Um, okay, so over to uh, Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura, and just look at Jesse's outfit tonight. He's very dapper, Chad. Yeah, he's Jesse wearing... actually dressed up. You know, sometimes he uh, decides he's not going to partake if they're doing a formal, you know, he's going to do his own thing. And I thought here he was actually able to go with the theme they were going for and yeah, still he's got bring white... his own identity. He's got white kid gloves on, white cane. I mean, he looks like a Fred Astaire extra or something. But oh, Come on. <laughs> anyway, the, the... Um, now uh, we get the reveal of Bill Watts' genius plan, Chad. Rescinding the top rope rule is the yes. hot topic tonight on the hotline, which uh, shows Watts' genius. It was a money-making scam all along. <laughs> it was yeah, just to have... Yes or no to rescind the top rope. It was just to get a monster, monster dial-in on the hotline once. <laughs> so there we go um, and we go straight into our first match which we should be excited about because it's Ricky Steamboat versus uh, Steve Austin Chad over to you yeah so um, Paul Lee is still hanging out with Austin Yes. and in this match Paul Lee has to be in the cage or in the little shark cage they do that type of gimmick um, yeah this you know, on on, uh, on Pro Wrestling Only, about a week ago, there was a thread. Uh, it was in the Greatest Wrestling Ever thread about Austin. And I just had watched this match at that time, and that kind of, it was fresh on my mind. Because, I mean, this match, Steamboat comes in with injured ribs, and they get about, I don't know, what, 12 minutes, I would it's say. It's probably. 14, 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they, they get enough time is what I'm trying to say. that I think they could have had a really good match, and they do have really good matches in 1994. And something about this match just never reached a second gear. I mean, Steamboat works the headlock early on, and then Austin does go after the ribs, which you knew would be a focal point. Um, but I didn't think he went after it with any great vigor or any, I guess, as much desperation as I would like. I mean, even with Paul E. Uh, kind of chanting him from the from the uh, from the shark cage, uh, I did think the finish was clever. This was a no disqualification match, which seemed weird um, with with Paul E. in the cage. Uh, and there wasn't much cheating or anything going on, but at the very end, Austin first on a pin tip does clinch the tights, which would have been legal. And then Steamboat ends up winning by coming off the top rope, which, you know, would be an automatic disqualification. Yeah. But, but in a uh, no disqualification match, that's perfectly legal. And I thought that was a, I guess, clever way for the finish, but, um, I don't know. I, I was pretty disappointed in this one overall. I mean, I only gave it two and a half stars. And for these two guys, I would have expected a lot more. 
And I, I, I didn't think Steamboat was... I, I actually put more blame on Austin than Steamboat here. I mean, I certainly... I mean, Steamboat has had a fantastic 1992. And I thought this was the weakest performance we've seen of him so yeah, far. I'd agree. But, but uh, I, I, it's just something about... And that's one of the reasons with Austin and the greatest wrestler ever, I'm really struggling where to rank him because there's, I don't, I mean, he has good performances, but then he has this performance and the Starcade performance and just other stuff where I feel like we should be getting more at this point and we don't. And, uh, it, it just seems like he has kind of years like that. Like, I mean, 92 is like that. 94 has some good stuff, but also some disappointing stuff. Uh, even 96, I mean, his stuff with Mark Marrow in WWF is good. Uh, but in Savio Vega, I mean, I think those are like three-star matches and Austin's good in them, but I, I just think there's a lot of people in wrestling nowadays that have a good many three-star matches throughout a calendar year. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really struggling with him. Uh, where did Bouncer go on this one, John? Oh, now this is something you will, uh, I think, be surprised at. He went three and three quarters. It's a monster rating for this match. Yeah. I, I know. I, I looked at that PWO thread as well, and I saw somebody in there had gone three and three quarters on it. Hmm. Um, and I did have a little look around, and there are ratings kind of around there, you know, on the old 411 reviews and things like this. Um, I thought really didn't think this match was anything special at all. Um, to me, it had the feel. I mean, even though Paulie was in the cage, Paulie was almost an afterthought. I thought, like, it's like, I don't know. He seems like a bit of a leftover of like earlier on in the year. He wasn't. Yeah, even... it, it feels like this is the last remnants of the Dangerous Alliance or whatever. Yeah, and then, well, basically, it had the feel to me of a functional title switch, like. We need the belt of Austin. We need it on Steamboat. Let's just do it here on TV. Um, it, now, I've given it a slightly higher rate in the new Chad. Um, oh. I went three. And I mainly did that because it has the it does have the coherent story of the ribs. Right. But it's just... It is like in 15 minutes, these two should have a better match than this, I think. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, something... I mean, after the opening and seeing them come out, I was really ready to say, you know, why doesn't anybody talk about this show? Because you got the great opening. And then I sort of just pegged down and assumed, like, you'd have a very good opening match. I had almost, uh, you know, hammered out my three-and-a-half-star rating before I watched the match, and it just it never came together for me. I don't, I don't know. No, I, I agree with you, Chad. I mean, I... I've gone. I gave it three stars without really thinking, but I can see two and a half. I can't. I can't really see three and three quarters. So no. Yeah, I, 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 the rib work is clever, and the finish is nice. Um, to see uh, to see Steamboat win the television title. I mean, I did think I will say this that like, you know, sometimes when you see these stars when a secondary title nowadays it feels like oh oh you know here we go again like last year when daniel bryan won the intercontinental title yeah. at wrestlemania 
and they kept saying, you know, last at WrestleMania 30, he walked out as the champion. He's walking out as the champion again. You know, that was kind of like, give me a break. You know, he won the IC belt. It's not the same. Um, but I did think they at least made it seem prestigious enough that I didn't think the TV title felt beneath Steamboat here in a way, which was an accomplishment. Well, you could argue that he was elev- helping to elevate it himself. Right, right. And he treated it as a big deal as well. Right. Um, I actually thought that John Cena did that recently with the U.S. Oh, belt. Oh, yeah. I think he did wonders with that U.S. belt when he had it because they really made that as important as the U.S. championship had been probably since around this time with Rick Rude, honestly. Yeah. Now we get a video package of tag teams. Travis, did you take any notes on this? Yeah, this was pretty cool. I really like this. And these clips, you know, if they had these clips at this day and age, it made me wonder, like, did this stuff not get preserved as well as it should? Or, you know, why hasn't this... I don't know if the assassins... Got to be sitting in the vaults, isn't it? Right, like if the assassin match that they showed where, uh, you know, uh, Oli turns on... Um, Dusty, if that exists, can we please see that in full? I mean, in some of the free birds. You see, I've seen that match, but I'm sure I saw for garbage tape. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, it just, it really feels like they may be sitting on some stuff with how good quality this stuff yeah. was. I mean, this wasn't grainy footage at all for the, I mean, that free bird clip they showed, that had to be from 80 or 81, right? And I mean, yeah. it looked it looked good. Yeah. See, I, I've got I've got a horrible feeling though that they do have all of this stuff, but it's just stuff that was off Georgia TV. That you know they did this deal where the match has already happened in the Omni typically, and they've got Gordon Soley and a guy who was in the match with him in the booth. Right, right. And they're watching back over it and it's clips. But so like in a package like this, it looks like they've got more, but really all they've got is the five minute clip. That's my experience. That's my experience of watching the Georgia footage that we do have. So. The uh, we did get some Road Warriors pre-face paint. Yeah, I I, th- I know that looked interesting. I've never seen that stuff before. The Road Warriors no. stuff. So, yes, it did look interesting. Some of this stuff. I mean, uh, this was a cool montage. I thought it showed the um, the strengths of each team well. I mean, you had the Road Warriors pummeling people. You had Ricky Morton wrestling. Um, I, I thought it did a good job of being an effective uh, look back at some of the top tag teams in TBS history. Absolutely. Well, well there's another package coming up. I'll have a lot more to say about that second package, <laughs> so I'll uh, just trail that one. We now go over to Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, and Michael Hayes. And Michael Hayes, for some reason, is in there in the corner of Arn and Bobby tonight. And he doesn't neglect to mention that we've they've got the three elements of the three greatest tag teams ever. There, he says, I'm here representing the Freebirds. He is there representing the Midnight Express. And, of course, Arn Anderson's one of the four horsemen. I thought that was just, like, Michael Hayes doesn't miss a trick, does he? He, he got that in. So Yeah, and that... I don't know. I just felt like this should be a lot cooler-looking trio than it really is at this time. I mean, because he is right. Like, if these three would have lined up in 1987 or 88, 
it would have felt like a huge deal. I, I, I just think that Hayes has been too damaged by Jimmy Jam at this point. Yeah, well, he, he didn't <laughs> do himself much favor. And I think himself. Bobby has got a bit of the kind of... Yeah, Bobby does have a kind of, you know... Hanging around feel. Yeah, yeah. Remnant of the 80s. Kind of that type of vibe. Like, what's he, he's literally just been bombing. Like, he was in the Dangerous Alliance, I guess, but he was. He, he's almost like the fifth member to me. So, sure. Um, anyway, the, now this is a really interesting match on paper, I thought. Right. Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton versus Greg Valentine and Dick Slater. Talk about an 80s dream match. I mean, right. Christ. Uh, however, I thought it was pretty short to be anything more than okay. No. So, uh, where did he go on this one, Chad? Yeah, so um, Slater and Valentine have Zabisco in their corner too, in a, uh, with his with his arm in a sling. Yeah, he has his arm in a sling. Uh, you know, even though he wasn't, you know, he got kicked out of the Dangerous Alliance, still a heel here. So I, I thought that was this is just a weird match. I mean, you got four heels, four heels, and four. Absolutely top-notch workers of the 80s. Um, I mean, Slater, I don't know. I mean, I like Slater, but he's not on the level of the other three. But the other three, as far as U.S. workers in the 80s, I don't don't think they're out of place at all, like a top 15, top 20 uh, of the 80s in the U.S. for sure. Um, so, so you would think it would be good, but like you said, I mean, it gets like five minutes. The crowd is pretty perplexed at, who to cheer for, or what to root for in this match, and it just felt like them doing some stuff. I mean, I did kind of enjoy both teams cheating at each other's expense, and Larry and Hayes jabbing each other was moderately entertaining, but uh, I, I didn't think there was much to this. I gave it two stars. I mean, I, I, didn't, same, I didn't have much at all. Same same time. We got a suplex or two out of Greg. I, I thought Greg actually looked all right in this match. Um, and I only said Man, that his face, his face looked really old. <laughs> I, I only say that because um, I'd come from writing a post in which I pointed out that Greg Valentine's basically got nothing after uh, this was when I was arguing with somebody who's basically like not going to rate Shawn Michaels because they don't like his post comeback run. I was like, well, Greg Valentine doesn't done anything for a decade more. Plat- like, wasn't he still wrestling even like a few years ago, Greg Valentine? Yeah, I mean he's still. I would say as much as deep into the 2000s making but India. Like apparently. after that Ron Garvin feud, he's basically got nothing as yeah, far as I, I know. Say, I would say after after Royal Rumble 1990, that's it. And I mean, I don't want to bury our friend Stephen Graham here, but to me, to not rank Shawn Michaels because of his post-comeback stuff that you don't like that much, which some fans think is full of five-star matches, even though even I myself hate it. But then to say... That counts against him, but Greg basically doing nothing for all that time doesn't count against him is just mental in my particular way of thinking. So, uh, But anyway, I'd come from writing that post to this match, and then I thought, oh, actually, he didn't look that bad here. So um, yeah, I'll give credit where it's due. That's the best Greg has looked in this run so far. Well, that, I don't think that's saying much. <laughs> But, uh, if, if two stars is his peak, I mean, <laughs> I, I, d- I do wish they got about twenty minutes for this though. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I would maybe, but I don't know in nineteen ninety two if I still want that. I don't know. I mean, that that was what was the thing. Like, it seems great on paper, but I don't know 
even if they would have gotten the time, I don't know if this would have worked out because it, it does feel like a lot of guys cling into the 80s. It would have been a much better match in 1985. We'll say right. That. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, like I said, even like I would have taken this in 1988. But uh, one, I, one, one thing that did occur to me is that doesn't um, Zabisco accidentally hit Slater for the pin? Was it? Uh, Zabisco accidentally um, whacks Valentine. Oh, Valentine, right. And then Eaton has to do the Alabama jam off the middle rope, which is, you know, because of Watts. <laughs> and I don't know. And then, so I just saw how much has Zabisco been bitched out in this whole deal? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it definitely makes Zabisco look like a goof because here, here again, you know, Michael Hayes has already proclaimed himself the better manager because he didn't make his team screw up. Um, yeah, I mean, Zabisco was announced. He, 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 was, he was kicked out of the Dangerous Alliance. He messed up on the war game. It's just like, <laughs> it's like he's really had, but like treated badly by the booking. So um, anyway, now we get Andre and Gordon Soli again yeah. with uh, Thunderbolt Patterson and Teddy Long. Um, so Patterson said a few things. Um, does doesn't he does he mention Ron Simmons being the first black champ or something like that? Yeah, yeah, that came out. Um, did, did we mention Teddy Long's do rag, the purple? <laughs> no, you do want to have a little talk about that? That was <laughs> that and Andre's crotch just right there in the view. Oh my god, Andre is sitting there with his legs wide open, and it's like. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 he's literally sitting there with his look on his face as if to say, I am giant in every way. <laughs> I reckon he must have been on it like his 10th tenth beer or whiskey or something. <laughs> him, I, I actually legit think him and Gordon, because so, they were laughing their heads off. Or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gordon has his hand on Andre's shoulder during all this. And his... When did Andre actually die? Did Gordon totally kill Andre's giant? I mean, this, oh. this um, I can't remember if he made any appearances in Japan after this, but I think as far as U.S. TV is concerned, this is the last time he was on U.S. wrestling. When, when does he appear with the, the, um, the Bushwhackers and all that? That was, that, that was the summer of 91. 91, right. I think he has one last tag match with Barber in '93, where he's Barber's uh, tag partner, actually in the ring. Okay. I want to say, yeah. Um, so somebody, somebody will definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I've seen an Andre match from 1993. Yeah, it's possible. Um, but as far as like U.S., I think this is it. This, this is I, it. Yeah. Someone can correct us with that too, but. Yeah, not a bad way to go out pissed out of his mind uh, laughing with Gordon. I have no doubt those two are completely gone because Andre has got he's he's, a, he's got the look of a guy who's been drinking for a long time. So um, anyway, now Bruno comes on and completely right. buries his old employers the WF <laughs> and chills the fuck out out of a WCW. Sorry, I was swearing a lot tonight. Very rare for me. Um, and then. <laughs> He says that um, this is basically like the wrestling from my day. The wrestling here in WCW is like the rest. And I can just say from my experience watching it that WCW in 1992 bears absolutely no relation to wrestling in Bruno's day. (laughs) None at all. So... 
<laughs> yeah, the uh, the uh, openers, twenty minute openers. Um, oh, cra- I mean, no, no work rate, and then a main event featuring exclusively yeah. punches and kicks. And yeah, it's. I mean, it's. You've seen some of that seventy stuff as well, Chad. I mean, it's I, not. I wouldn't say. Uh, yeah, I mean, if this was Jerry Briscoe cutting the same promo, fine. <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, yeah. I don't see on uh, Bruno. He's a very weird fit for the role they've given him. It's very well, and it's like they shoehorn him in as a traditional style wrestler, but I, I don't, he doesn't feel like an NWA or WCW wrestler really at all. He is, like, he is literally there to get fans to Philly. I, I swear to it at that because doesn't he um, shell Halloween Havoc as well? Right, right. So, yeah. That's coming up. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, a much more Georgia guy now, Mr. Wrestling 2, is in Hawaii uh, in his home, and he puts over WCW as the real wrestling as well. Hawaiian shirt. A mask. Still with his mask on. Gives a big peace sign at the end. Um, Now, you don't seem to like Mr. Wrestling 2 that much, do you? No. I mean, like, I've seen, like, some of his matches are all right. Um, what I don't really get is what his appeal is, but then yeah, I- well, he just has that. I don't, I don't really know if it's there's just something about it. It's like you know, it's it's like that Bruno connection with MSG, right? And I, I mean, because my dad, it's Mr. Wrestling Two and Bob Armstrong are his two guys, right? And, and Wrestling Two was the number one of that. Uh, duo so there, there's just I, I don't know what I mean I wasn't around at the time Zellner's written a good bit about it but there was just some sort of connection that Wrestling 2 was able to clamor that yeah I, I, I mean I, I've seen some of his promos and stuff but like like uh, I love that uh, feud with the assassin that yeah I, mean, I, I, I really like Wrestling 2 I mean I think with Bruno it's so easy to say like he portrays the working man and the Italian yeah. American and kind of the American dream and it, it's really easy to pinpoint kind of that moment in time and how the crowd would be completely behind him I, I mean I don't know what the word is maybe more nuanced or whatever with wrestling too but yeah was he's, he's, he's got a little bit of that dancing baby face about him and you know my feelings about that Chad I mean I, I'm a heel uh, yeah I mean he does do the little uh, shucking and driving. But, but Chad, it doesn't mean anything because I'm a heel fan, which means I'm basically, a, you know, I don't like any baby faces. I hated Ult- Ultimate Warrior when all everybody else loved him, you know. So I, I would uh, say a, a good bit of like Jimmy Valiant. Yeah, oh. there's, there's a bit of Jimmy Valiant there. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm always going to prefer the Assassin, you know. Right. Or like whoever. <laughs> um. Anyway, we now go on over to yet another big uh, executive, Ted Turner himself, who's got a beard here. And um, he talks about the traditional style of wrestling that emphasizes athleticism. Uh, Take that, Matt D. Athleticism. (laughs) What what did you think of this, uh, Chad? The Ted Turner coming on to... Yeah, I mean, I never got the sense that Ted was a... Big wrestling fan. This <laughs> promo didn't change my mind on that. So it was what it was. Now, 
uh, over to Bill Watts. There's a lot of yeah. in- interviews here. <laughs> and Brad Armstrong is injured. He got injured against the great Muta in Japan. Um, now, I don't know if that part of it's true. We definitely know that he got injured in Japan. Um, whether he was uh, going against the great Muta, I don't know. So, um, I reckon he may have just shoehorned Muta in as a j- Japanese guy that the crowd know. <laughs> Maybe. Um, anyway, he's going to be stripped of the title after five weeks. And it's been five weeks, so he's going to be stripped of the light heavyweight title. And uh, I've just written in brackets here, Triple H. Now, why have I done that? Oh, yes, because he's not going to defend the title at all until WrestleMania, is that right? <laughs> yeah. He, so uh, what happened to the injury rule? Well, they, they don't really do the, you know, it used to be you had 30 days to defend. I don't know when the last time that was played up. Well, they, they, did, they, they, did, they did it with Sean, didn't they? Numerous times. Sean was stripped of the title or the IC belt. Yeah, well, that was, yeah, I mean, when he didn't want to drop the belt. But, that I mean, we're still, that's 20 years ago. Yeah. I, I can't remember in the last 10 years. Again, someone could probably chime in. But, yeah, I mean, certainly Triple H is going to go about 60 days without defending the belt. So, yeah, I mean, on this title reign, if, I mean, I'd be 99% sure right now Roman Reigns will beat him. So he will not defend the uh, the championship after he won it. But in the history books, that will go down as a five-month reign. Yeah, I mean it'll it'll go down as a yeah you know, from Jan- mid January to first of April, two and a half months. And he, he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't defended it once. It'll be about a seventy day reign without any defense. Has that ever happened in history? I guess Brock Lesnar's in it, has he? Ah, uh, yeah, he's probably went that long with him when he was champion. That is bullshit. <laughs> Maybe Hogan even when he used to like go away for. Um... No, not even Hogan because Hogan on Nitro. I mean. I, we'll get to that when we get into late era Nitro, but I'll tell you, I mean, like, Hogan being gone, quote-unquote, from the shows, I think is over-exaggerated. I, I was actually thinking more 80s Hogan, like, sometimes oh, he'd, he'd yeah. go away. I wouldn't, well, because when he filmed No Holds Barred, he wasn't the champion, and when he filmed Suburban Commando, he wasn't the champion, yeah, so I think That's a so. good point as well. May, I mean, may, oh, well, when he won... Uh, and when he beat Yoko at WrestleMania nine, I don't know if he defended it until King of the Ring. So yeah, they, that's maybe. two months. Maybe. And yeah, again, if we're wrong, somebody will definitely tell yeah, us. Yeah, let us know. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I will just say that's one. That's kind of one of my little aggravating talking points. Is you know, like in the NWO, it's like Hogan never wrestled. He wasn't around for might so you know i mean it was maybe two weeks well the thing is with as my understanding is and again well i my understanding is that hogan got a payday if he was in the he got a bigger payday if he was in the main event of any clash or pay-per-view or so or even like maybe even uh nitro so he had it in his interest to appear on more cards because he got a bigger you know that's how they reckon that figure gets up to ridiculous numbers. Right. So, yeah. uh, anyway, uh, this is a really weird deal now because Brad Armstrong has been stripped of the title and we now go to a promo from Brad Armstrong um, who's upset. Uh, his dad is there, Bob Armstrong, of course, and he feels that he's let him down, he's let his family down. Brian Pillman is there as well, wearing another Hawaiian shirt. And he's very, very heelish in his promo. 
even though he's dressed as a babyface still. And basically, we get this. Is this basically Brian Pillman's heel turn? Yeah, I would say this is essentially the kickoff of his heel turn. Um, now, this comes out of absolutely nowhere, and to me, it makes absolutely zero sense. So, uh, why don't you talk us through it, Chad? Well, I mean, not much to say. It's uh, yeah. I mean, this was it. Um, I, I mean, it, it. I guess in some ways, it's like it's weird because he was a really good babyface, but I don't know where he was going to fit in with Watts's vision. So him turning heel here and who he teams up with, which is Austin, does kind of revitalize his career in a lot of ways. So it's kind of one of those weird things where it's probably not the move I would have went with, and it seems out of left field, but it kind of works out at that point in time. To, this, to me, this is one of those deals where I thought Brad Armstrong just looked completely pitched out. By the, like It was just like, okay, so we're meant to be rooting for Brad here? How? I just thought he just came off completely wet in this whole deal. And Pillman, I mean, I don't know. I didn't didn't really understand what was meant to be going on. Um like, it seems like such a weird, like, obviously anybody with ounce of sense knows that he's injured, so he can't defend the belt. I don't understand, like, what was Pillman's motivation for turning heel? That that he didn't get a match. Uh, I, I, I don't get it. It's just a weird, like... I get it. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you think about the logic of a lot of hill turns, they don't make it, it very. It was poorly executed, I thought. Right, it wasn't the best. Um, what did you actually think of Pillman as the heel, though? Well, I mean, as we'll get to, I, like, again, I, th- I think he presents his role really well. Um, I, right. I, think he, I think he's, you know, like... I, Pillman's weird because there's some people that really love him as a baby face yeah. and some people that really love him as a heel. And yeah. I don't, I don't, I guess I'm not over the moon for him in either category, but I think he's effective in both. So it's yeah. one of those weird things where like I average with both, but I don't think he's exceptional in one or the other. Yeah. I, 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 to me, it's, it's actually a similar deal to Kurt Hennig in a way. Is that I just think his character work is better as the heel, uh, in both like in both cases, and uh, I I think of him because it's it's Dylan, isn't it, who's really big on Pillman the babyface. He is, yeah, and and, and I, know, re- I know Charles really likes him as a face. He's really big on Kenny the babyface too, and I can see both of those things, and I actually can see it much more with Pillman because I think we've been reasonably high on Pillman so far. Sure, um, but I do think he's. Chuck, he's able to show more of his personality as the heel. You know, you could just get some guys who are naturally drawn to certain things, and he's able to be a bit more, like, just show a bit more of that charisma. Whereas other guys, their natural personality is more babyface. Like, I don't know, Rick Martel would, you know, he's playing against type when he's a heel. He's a natural babyface, or Rick, Rick, uh, Ricky Steamboat, say. Whereas I think Pillman is a natural heel. That's what I would say. So, um, and he's like, you can tell that he wants to do it as well. So, that's just what I think. So, um, but in the ring, uh, to be seen, because I think he's a very, very good babyface in the ring. Right. Let's go to this um, package now of the TBS memories, where we see in order uh, bits of Dusty Rhodes, Stan Hansen, Ron Garvin. 
Tony Atlas, Magnum TA, Buzz Sawyer, Mr. Wrestling 2, The Great Kabuki, Ted DiBiase, Bill Watts, Wahoo McDaniel, Masked Superstar, Jimmy Valiant, King Kong Bundy, The Spoiler, The Iron Sheik, Tully Blanchard, Ric Flair, uh, Terry Funk, Tommy Rich, and Roddy Piper. And uh, I thought this was really effective, Chad. I even shed a tear while I was watching it. Uh-huh. Maybe I'm just getting very sentimental, but I thought it was really well done. So, and Yeah, now that, the footage of Watts, I don't know when that was from, but that looked really old. Yeah, no, I, stuff I, I would be really interested to see uh, what they I, have of that. I saw it mentioned in um, on PWO that they thought that some of the footage was from Mid South. Now I can only guess they were talking about the DBRC one there, but I think all of the footage was from Georgia TV, GCW TV. Um, I think that DBRC one was from '84, uh, around the time he had the feud with Brad Armstrong. Uh-huh. The Watts thing is the only one that I don't know where that's from. I even wonder if that's from Bill Watts' personal collection. Well, the one of Bundy actually said Mid-South Wrestling behind him. Right, okay. They had a scene of him being interviewed with Ross, and it said Mid-South behind. Right. So that, that, that clip certainly was, but I don't know about the end ring they showed of Bundy. Uh, it looked like the GCW stuff. Yeah. Um and uh, I do have a little uh, note from uh, our friend Charles Loss. Um, he says that he sees this show as an alternate universe of what wrestling history might have looked like if somebody else has got control over it that wasn't Vince. Like, you can see, like, this is basically Bill Watts' version of what WWE do now. Right, right. This would be the Hall of Fame you know, in Watts' eyes, uh, like a tribute show. Now, isn't it interesting how different wrestling history looks through their eyes than through the WWE lens that we typically see it through? Yeah, and the, and I would say this, this is just me, but this in some ways hits me with more of a, a, a more sentimental, um, authentic pitch than a lot of the stuff. I mean, I, I guess a lot depends on context, but... You know, I mean, like with the with the Hall of Fame packages, like the Godfather was just announced for the Hall of Fame this year. So they had their little, you know, all aboard the whole train and the montage of him. But these kind of short snippets with the dramatic music, um, I, I found it very effective. I enjoyed the video. Yeah, and it, uh, to me it's nothing to do with nostalgia because I grew up in a later time than this and I'm not from Georgia. I grew up with WWF, but it's just something about this feels more real and more authentic to me. So um, there it is. Um, I will never get the nostalgia for the Monday Night War stuff, and I lived that as well. And for how long ago was that? Yeah, fifteen years. I mean, ago I, I just I can't get into the mindset of being nostalgic for the Godfather or Test and Albert or anything like that. So right, um, I don't think I ever will. It's just one of those things. It just doesn't like. That stuff seems to me of its time a lot more for some reason. I don't know why that is. Um, whereas the for both WF and uh, this sort of stuff, I can feel it a lot more. Yeah, I mean that's 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 always kind of weird to think about because yeah, uh, Godfather was the IC champ in '99. That was 17 years ago, and if you go 17 years previous from this show, it's like 1975. 
Yeah, I know. Maybe that Watts clip was from there, but that feels like such a, I don't know, just like a different time. I don't know, it, it's it's yeah. weird how time is like that. Yeah. I, I did think their selection of who to show was interesting in a way. Because lots of these guys were under contract. I mean, DBRC, Flair. Flair, yeah. Iron Sheik, Roddy Piper. These were all guys under WWF contract at this time. And they weren't burying them at all. Um, so I just thought that was interesting that they basically like were like, we're not going to play childish, stupid games here. I mean, they did have Bruno on there burying it. But like, what do you think of that? Yeah, like- that is interesting because it was two and um, the other way, because usually there's two tones where it's something like that. It's, it's yeah, we're just going to bury them. Or it's the TNA of, hey, remember all these superstars that are on the other channel now as champions? Yeah. Well, they were once here too, you know, and it just sounds yeah. desperate. And uh, I didn't get a sense of that in either way here. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just thought it was a rare time where they just, thought fuck it we're, we're, we're gonna do this properly tonight and not bother with any of the childishness you know right um yeah so and there, there may have been a bit of we want you back rick maybe i don't know i, I didn't really oh. get that sense much either though i think that was the one that's probably the most close yeah. to that type of vibe okay so now we've got in is this his first title defense or mm, his first his first TV kind of yeah big, his big first tr- big match yeah it's true. and it's against Cactus Jack who immediately I thought well this is a kind of weakish kind of scalp for his first defense I mean you got to remember in Night Night Two Cactus Jack doesn't is it, still not the Mick Foley that we think of like I mean he's had what he's had the match with Sting. Has he? Right, yeah. He had the Beach Blast match with Sting. Has he had the Vader uh, match, yeah? No, that's an yeah. either. So, I mean, it's like he's still a mid-card kind of... I don't know. I just thought it made Simon seem mid-card here to have him going up against Cactus Jack in the middle of the show. Um, I, I mean, always the referee. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I kind of thought it was odd that Cactus Jack was essentially... I, I kind of had a different take. I mean, Cactus yeah. Jack is essentially like the Dino Bravo, you know, Saturday night main event, Hulk Hogan title defense opponent right. of Simmons. And I thought I thought they could have uh, had somebody else in that role. I don't, I don't know. It felt weird to me that they were building up the Barbarian uh, for Simmons instead of, you know, Jack was basically prepping for the Barbarian instead of the other way around. Right, um, I'd, I'd have done it where the barbarian would have been destroyed here, and then he's got to face Jack at the pay per view, the younger star. Um, I mean, I didn't think this match was much of anything at all. I mean, like a two star affair. Same that match was nothing notable, uh, which is the story of this clash so far. I've written. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I mean, in ring you had some people tomahawk chopping. Uh, Ole wasn't quite as bad as a referee here. Jack does do his elbow to the outside and takes a couple of bumps, but uh, this was a pretty restrained performance for him as well. Honestly, I'm, I'm thinking about this book, him. To me, both Cactus Jack and the Barbarian are hopelessly mid-card. Like, you need any, anything 
Chair Nikita. Well, that's what I was about to say. I mean, besides Rude and Vader, I mean, there's just... I mean, maybe you could have done Anderson. I was thinking Arn, maybe. Might yeah, be a good uh, placeholder opponent. or And and you could have even worked in the... um, You know, you could have worked in, an, I think, a fun angle with that where Oli, you know, I guess he's the referee for all these big matches and... You could have worked in somewhere or could have been like, now, Oli, you know, I know you've got this official position, but when it comes down to it, you're going to do the right thing and kind of set that in people's mind. And then Ron's able to defeat. Or, or I mean, like, look, OK, it's a, it's a TBS special. OK, Freebirds were a big deal for one night only. Let Michael Hayes have the mic and go to town on Simmons. You know, I'm a legend here at the Omni. Uh, and just give, it, give I mean, I know I want to say just for one night only, he could have made like knowing how good Hayes is on the mic, he could have yeah. made that into more of a deal than this match was. Also, also knowing uh, Hayes's racial views, I don't know if you want him to go to town or. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, come on, boy, you know all of this sort of stuff, and then like Simmons saying, "What did you call me?" You know, I mean, I'm right at the angle for you, but uh, I mean, they, they, like you know. Yeah, before you there was junkyard dog and all this sort of thing, and uh. let let, Hay, let Hayes run his mouth and let Simmons kick the shit out of Hayes yeah. in a see, dominant. See Hank, Hank Aaron literally lose his shit, right? Yeah, there. like like there's all those black, like the, all those black guys, like the counselor was black, wasn't he? And or like they're all sitting in the front row in their tuxedos and like let Hayes go and rile them up and let Simmons just literally beat the crap out of it. I mean, oh, I don't know. I, I, I think that, uh, would... no, that sounds like a Vince Russo angle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know. I just think it would have done more for Simmons than whatever they did here. I, I like my orn idea. I think that's <laughs> yeah, like or, or, or more sensibly on maybe. Okay. Sure. Um, anyway, or I don't know, turn Barry Windham. <laughs> 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 just, or just have babyface versus babyface. I don't know. Just give him someone better. Well, um, I mean, this was a throwaway defense. I mean, Jack now does not look effective. Uh, I don't know. So anyway, we have a clip to Japan now of Chono beating Rick Rude um, to win the NWA title. Um, now we get some comments from Rude at promo. Not a great one, I didn't think. No, no, I don't. I, I've never by thought the numbers. I never thought Rick Rude is particularly great promo. He's very good at doing his pre-match promo. His one, you know, right, his stick, his stick promo. But as an actual like normal promo, I don't think he's great. Jesse, however, is absolutely in love with him. Um, this was maybe Jesse as gayest. He literally is just such a massive hard on. It wasn't he like calling him a poet and things like this. <laughs> Um, and now we get a Cactus Jack promo, and I think Jack goes on commentary. I was really confused doing this business here. Cactus Jack goes on commentary now, and well, yeah, and he's essentially like the manager role for this whole thing. And Butch Reed is here. It was like Butch right. Reed. It was supposed to be Spivey, and um, and Butch Reed is just back out of the blue. Right. Well, I mean, they played up that he was Simmons's former partner, but here, here he is. So now it's Reed and the Barbarian versus Dustin and Barry Wendell. Yeah, no, I've never been as lost. Do it like where did the Barbarian come from? Right. 
Yeah, that's another one that kind of just... Him and Hercules and a couple of these other guys that had been in WWF for so long just sort of popped up around this time in WCW. I mean, he was a Watts guy. I've got a bone to pick with Dave. An answer that is. Instead of buggering off and watching five-star matches in Japan, you should have been sitting at your desk reporting barbarian coming to WCW so it <laughs> wasn't such a surprise to us and also what's the deal with Butcher because Reed was what gone after a week or something around this yeah time? he doesn't hang around long I don't know what happened because the, the match that they're talking about does not happen does it well I don't even know if they were talking I think they were I don't, I don't even know if he was there for anything but just this match I, it, I don't did, know. didn't we read that he goes and be like he's a, like a road like he just gives up and becomes a rodeo or something oh yeah i think we did read that but maybe some i don't know i'm, I'm getting screwed up reads reads timeline messes with me so it's just super weird to see him i don't want to he's he's here and i don't think we'll see him again so that's all no. i can do you, do you have any notes for this match either? Because there's not much here. I thought the, uh, you know, Dustin gets a little bit of a beatdown, but again, I mean, the matches on this show, besides the opener, which was disappointed, are all pretty rushed. I mean, in the in the in the main event, the the middle three matches uh, throughout the show are six to eight minutes and pretty compact. Uh, you get basic stuff from all the teams, but. I didn't think anything too interesting. Dustin plays face in peril a little bit. I didn't. I mean, Reed and Barbarian do some of their power moves, but I, I found this one to be okay. But I went two and a quarter, which is a funny rating. But I, I found it just slightly better than decent, and I was surprised to see. Even though I know they were pushing him for a heavyweight title shot. Um, I was really surprised to see the Barbarian get the pin on Wyndham. I thought that was an odd choice. I, I was as well. I, I don't know. This whole thing, like, why is Cactus Jack there? Why is the Barbarian there? Why is Butch Reed there? I just, I had no clue what was going on doing this whole thing. And also, why is Barbarian pinning Barry Wyndham? So, um, also, this came up recently on the board, Chad. Wyndham and Rhodes as the team here in 92. How much do you see this adding to either of their GWE cases? Because some people put a lot of stock in it. Um, I mean, I don't think this match can add much. Uh, but like in in general, because we're in September now, so yeah. I mean, I like their team. I still think they have a couple of good matches coming up, including uh, one we won't watch till the TV stuff versus Doc and Gordy, who you know, I, I guess they were were they in Japan because they're not on this show. Oh, yeah. And look how good that push was. We even forgot right, about them. So. Right, yeah, it's, it's sort of something you forget about till you mention it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I liked them a lot as a tag team. I, I really thought they had some good matches in their run. Uh, it's a short run, though. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not voting in that tag team. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about, like, for... The, just for the, them, for their individual? Because um, this, this came... I tell you what, it came up where we were doing, like, Ted DiBiase versus Barry Windham, and they like this run was brought up as something big for Windham. So I, I don't know. I just don't well, see. Well, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I think the main thing there is. Do I think this was better than what DiBiase was doing at the time? Of course, I do. Right. 
against, but, against the moneying stuff, right? Right. Yeah. But do I think that? I mean, with Wyndham, you essentially have eighty-six to ninety-three to judge, or eighty-five to ninety-three to judge. I would say maybe yeah. eighty-four. Yeah. Eighty-five. So, yeah. so you got about nine years. Um, is yeah. that as good as Ted from seventy-nine to eighty-eight? I mean, I have Ted ahead, but yeah, I, I, I was just interested because, like, to me, I haven't like. Wyndham just he's been very floaty in the 90s so far like it's just like you know I realize that a lot of his stuff is on TV and not on these big matches as we talked about but I don't know it just seems strange to me to make a big deal out of I anything mean, I, that he's up to I think, I think somebody that's building up Wyndham for something like that would look at like that match he had versus Mr. Hughes right. and play that really well um because that's somebody that we don't... I mean, Mr. Hughes, we just don't have many three-star matches from him. Right. Yeah. And he had that versus Wyndham. Whereas, I think me and you align in the fact that, like, Ted in 79, having a competitive match with uh, Patterson... Right, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah, that's Pat Patterson. He's an all-time great, but this is a young Ted, and he looks comparable in there. So yeah. that, it's just kind of how you judge that. Like, to me, you know, I put those two matches together. I like the Patterson match better. I, I'm yeah. in Ted's performances. I pick that. But I can see how somebody else would pick, like, the Mr. Hughes stuff or, you know, how he was able to build a TV feud versus... Yeah, but versus see, the, the, the thing is with Barry Windham, right, is that, I mean, and I'm, I'm talking about the shows that me and you have watched, Chad, if you forget about the TV specials that we've done, how many times has he had matches? Where, like, I was, the one that always sticks in my mind, just remember the, the Bam Bam Bigelow match? Like, Yeah, the Starcade Bam Bam match. Just, I mean, he has some matches where it's just like... Like, even the Pillman Super Brawl match. Yeah. Yeah, they're a victim of time. But that's a feud that had some legitimately really good TV matches. And... It's just, it's kind of, you know, it's not... There's, there's something about his pay-per-view performances that never quite kind of deliver. And, and he is often in difficult circumstances. Like, I always think of the Luger match um, after, you know, the We Want Flair match, you know that? Right, one. right. So... Uh, the, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, well, he also has the, isn't it the Zabisco match? Or what's the match that he has on the uh, Chi-Town Rumble? Or it's versus Steve Williams. Yeah, that was it. But, that, but, that, but that, I, don't, I don't want to linger on this too long. I mean, people could also say, yeah, but Ted's match with Jake isn't all that. Right. You know, or, I, I, I don't know, his Hercules match isn't all that. <laughs> whatever um let's keep on going um because now we get a package for this eight-man tag and uh, i thought this was pretty well done i thought the production on the show in general was pretty good and a weird shift again from like what we saw at great american bash this didn't seem like that kind of aesthetic at all this show would you agree no yeah I mean, I get, yeah, that show was mainly a traditional tag team show. This is more glitz and glamour, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just seems like another shift in direction for this company that never seems to settle on one direction. Well, you're starting to see the angles come in. I mean, we get the video package with Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal. 
Um, oh, yeah, Jake, Roberts, Jake Roberts brings an air of more, uh, I guess, gimmicky stuff. We'll talk about that package in a minute. Sure. <laughs> um, Super Invader and his terrible mask. <laughs> we um, basically get a Survivor Series match now. Right. Okay, so basically this is um, Sting, Nikita, and the Steiner brothers taking on Vader, Rude, Jake Roberts, and Super Invader who is Hercules under a hood. Right. Um, now, on paper, <coughs> sorry, on paper, apart from Hercules, the heel team is quite interesting there, isn't it? Jake, Rude, Vader as a heel team. What do you think of that? Yeah, well, I, I mean, my general observation of all these guys where you had one Hall of Famer in Vader, and then... The rest of the guys had long careers to varying degrees of success, but I didn't see any of them at that Hall of Fame from an observer standpoint level. And I thought that was interesting that you had all these guys lumped in that I would probably put like Hall of Very Good, like Sting, Jake, yep. Steiners, Rude, but not Hall of Fame. Mm. Um, I, I found that very interesting. No. My first note here is that Jake looks fat. <laughs> uh, is that, I don't know. He, he, I don't know. He had like a bit of a pot. Like he looks bigger than normal to me. Yes, but WrestleMania 8, he didn't look in great shape either. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so what did you make of This was quite interesting, I thought, because it, it actually made me thought of the possibility of WCW just running Survivor Series matches. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought this was clearly the match of the night for me. Um, I, I thought it was a good bit of fun. Not Nothing extraordinary. Um, Mike could have hoped it would have been a little better, but uh, you had all the guys kind of doing their power move stuff, especially Vader and the Steiners. I thought that was a very interesting dynamic where the execution was off on some of the stuff they were going for, but... Um, when it delivered, it delivered. Like when Rick gives Vader the German suplex, that is just a yeah. huge spot. I love that German suplex by Rick yeah, on the, Vader. Uh, the crowd goes nuts for that. Um, the eliminations here I thought were kind of weird. Uh, Nikita being the first one eliminated I thought was odd. Uh, it seems like his push is pretty much done. Um, and then, I mean, essentially you get the, the top rope coming into play. That gets rid of Scott Steiner. Rick Steiner gets counted out. Super Invader goes away, which he, I mean, Hercules' mask was obvious. He sucks. I still don't know what they're going for with his gimmick. I just, I don't get him. Seemed totally out of place in this right, match to me. Right. He, he seemed like the clear number eight of these eight. Um, not, not, just, but, not just number eight, like of all of the workers on the card. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Hayes, he's below on the pecking order. Yeah, um, and I'd say so. Uh, <laughs> so so it comes down to Sting versus the other three heels, and uh, Rude come or no, Vader comes off the top rope and does just an absolute monster splash that looks like he hits Rude's head. Oh, that's and, a monster. And, 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 I mean, destroys them, so he's DQ'd. Um, and then Jake, being the kind of the conniving hill that he is, drags a helpless root over to his corner, tags himself in, and DDT Sting for the win. So I went three stars on this. A fun, you know, fun TV main event. 
Yeah, no, this was clearly my match of the night as well. Um, sorry for spoiling our awards, but um, I gave it three and a half stars. I just thought it was loads of good action in this one. I always dig Vader laying in the shots. Uh, Steiner's just doing their big moves. Steiner's doing big moves on Vader. Vader doing big moves. I mean, what's there not to like about that? Um, I mean, Rick at one point did a power slam on Vader from the top rope. I mean, you know, just stop and take that in for a second. It's quite a big thing to happen. Um, we got Doomsday Device uh, in which Rick struggled, like fell. Yeah, could not lift him up. So, But it still looked pretty good when Vader actually took the bomb. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was really fun. Uh, just that Steiners versus Vader vibe was cool. Um, I, I did think that the DQ on Scott was lame as hell. Uh, right. I thought it was a horrible DQ. I thought that the count out on the floor from Rick was horrible. And I just noted here that both the Steiners were protected, but then, and Vader was protected, but then we got the Sting or Sting taking the pin again. Because we've just seen Sting pinned last pay per view. And I said that it didn't hurt him then, but why is he getting pinned? Like, I don't think he should be getting pinned again. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely setting up the pay-per-view, but I can see an argument for that. If you're just watching the super shows, that's twice now. My argument would be that if you want to get Jake over, have him take Sting out of the match. Out of the match, yeah, that could have worked. And, I don't know, have Vader go over the Steiners or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how I'd book the rest of it, but... I just wouldn't have Sting pinned on a big show again. Right. Um, Not if you're going to go to the bother of protecting everybody else in the match. How does does Rude get eliminated? Um, He's not. He's still in there. He's a survivor. Yeah, him and Jake are the two survivors. Right, okay. It looked like Patrick was initially going to DQ Roberts. When right before Vader came off the top rope, but he didn't. So yeah, they're the two winners of the match. I wonder what Jake Roberts's uh, Survivor Series record is. He seems like a guy who would sneak through to the last one, last two quite a bit. Hmm. No idea. I I cannot remember. Survivor Series finishes of of the Big Four by far. It's the number four for me, and it's. I'm very hazy with the results, especially like the eliminations. It's just occurred to me that Rude and Jake, obviously. I don't know. It doesn't feel like he did that good because, I mean, when he faced Martell's team, that was the first, like, Oh, yeah. They were whitewashed, weren't they? The the visionaries. Got beat. The Vipers got demolished. Yeah, demolished. And then they went to the special, the entire team went to the big finals. (laughs) Right. Right. uh, With my boy Ted. Yeah. I remember that one. Um, yeah, it, it's just occurred to me that Rude and Jake are, of course, mortal enemies in the WWF. Right, now they're tagging. <laughs> now they're tagging partners. Right. Didn't they have some sort of deal with Hercules as well? I want to say Hercules. Yeah, though. Hercules was kind of an ancillary member of that, so. <laughs> okay. Um, so, just to finish up, we get this video package now. Now, what the hell's going on in this video package? Yeah, spend the wheel, make the deal. Can, um, you, can you explain what's going on? Well, we get a scantily clad Medusa, who I guess is dressed up like a cat, coming into a sketchy bar. Um, We have Cheatham, the midget, with his eye patch. Uh, She shows... Now, she shows some shears to Jake. Was that 
a shot at Brutus? No idea. I didn't understand that. Well, anyway, she shows a lot of stuff at the bar to Jake. He nods on in appreciation. She's about to spin this big wheel full of gimmick matches. Now, why that's in the middle of the bar, I don't know. <laughs> Just right then, uh, Sting arrives with a cloud of smoke. Everybody in the bar is just aghast. Sting comes in with his leather jacket and face paint on. The acting is just atrocious. I mean, I mean, the bar, you have these, ooh, you know, everybody going, ah, and all this. But the actual name of the bar is the Will Saloon. I'm rewatching that. <laughs> what right. a lame, lame-ass bar this is. <laughs> um <laughs> So, so I mean, the gist is Jake. I mean, Jake. I thought the promo we talked about with Sting was okay. I mean, it was the usual Jake dribble, but it's effective. Kind of Jake just yammering on. Um, and then, yes, yeah, Sting's gonna spin the wheel and make the deal, and lasers shoot out of their eyes. So that's that's the promo. The lasers took me a little bit by surprise, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what? the big explosion and the to be continued at the end. <laughs> I I thought that it had a little bit of a Mad Max vibe. Some of this. Oh like, sure. Yeah. Like uh, yeah, um, yeah. Did did you happen to see the Edge and Christian uh, no. comedy show? That one of the things they did on that is that they 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 went to the infamous um, you know the Vader Sid Sting right at the right. Bit, Beach blast. Yeah, and they they did like a voiceover over it. I I actually thought that they did for the comedy. They don't need to do anything. They just need to show the show the video. I I, I think this one of the three we'll get to. I think this one actually is probably the least preposterous, if you can believe that. It's, it is bizarre though. I didn't know this is the least publicized as well. I reckon. The spin the deal. I don't know. Spin spin the wheel, make the deal. It seems pretty. No, no, like yeah, but the actual. Yeah, I mean, I guess the boat blowing up is uh, yeah. a White Castle affair. Yeah, this is probably number three. They're all pretty infamous, though. This, um, yeah, this is going to be a running theme for us. So. Right. It's just weird that Watts was in charge of this. I don't know. Yeah, I've got a feeling this was just imposed by the higher-up. You know, you can have a big budget to, put, to make these... You've got all the TBS um, resources... But you have to make short films out of it or something like this, you know. Right. Um, so let's get to our end of show awards then. Match of the night, I think we've both already said, is the is the eight man. I right. don't think there's any question of where sure. is there. Nope. Uh, who is the MVP? I guess that's more interesting. Yep. My MVP is Vader. I thought he was very good in the main event, bumping around, uh, making everybody look good. So he was kind of my best performer. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Like, I can't really think of anyone else who... Nobody else really stood out in my mind, so... Rick Steiner sort of stood out to me, but I think yeah, I think pretty... Vader... He just brings that extra intensity to things, doesn't he? Sure. And um, I've actually been thinking more about Vader-Brock comparisons recently, Chad, because I, I think Brock has got a lot of Vader in him, basically. He's got Vader in him. <laughs> Too much Vader in him. It's a little Star Wars reference there. But, um, yeah, do you know what I mean? But, but just by the way he lays in those shots and he's got that kind of yeah, extra I mean, level of... Yeah, I think of... they can complement their style, sure. Um, all right, Billy Graham Award. My Billy Graham is going to be Steve Austin. Um, 
I was disappointed in that match, and like I said, I hold him more to blame. Um, so that's where I'm at. Wow, harsh, Chad. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm surprised you didn't give it to Missy Hyam. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, good thing about her is after that opening segment, she was out of there, so that wasn't bad. Super Invader. Yeah, well, yeah, that's not a bad, bad <laughs> choice. He wasn't good. I think I'll go for Super Invader. Just because that the, the hood looks stupid as well. Can't even. Yeah, the, the look is ridiculous. Because <laughs> yeah, he he worked under a mask before, though, didn't he? He was like assassin number three. Yes. So surprising they didn't just have him come out as assassin three, given uh, with the assassin or something, because he was there. Right. Anyway, where, where are we going to next after this, Chad? So, uh, after this, we're going to spin the wheel and make the deal. So, it's going to be Halloween Havoc. But it's possible, isn't it, that we might do Greatest Wrestler Ever before then? Yeah, I think we definitely will. I think we'll do our Greatest Wrestling Ever ballots, and then probably uh, after I take a break out of that, which I need, um, we'll reconvene for Halloween Havoc. Yes, absolutely. Um, so... March, um, it's going to have to be in the next couple of weeks because I'm going nowhere. I'm actually going to New Orleans, Chad, in uh, in March. Nice. Yeah, so I'm going to, but I'm coming back just before WrestleMania, so I'm going to miss that. Or you know, I was hoping to like catch some shows and things, but unfortunately, it looks like I'm going to be stuck in a Shakespeare conference in New Orleans. So, um, yes. So hopefully, in a couple of weeks, we will run down our top 100. Greatest wrestlers ever, as ranked by our various criteria. So look forward to that one. <laughs> and um, until next time. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>